Yeah, we, we, we have had a really great time also going into the city and seeing uh, my mom and two sisters and having a great time there. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. So we'll go ahead and open up in prayer. As soon as I get to my little scripture. Okay. All right. So, Heavenly Father, we come to you and we just give you praise. We give you all the honor and glory and thanks unto you and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you for um, the privilege of being here today. Thank you for um, the privilege of being able to come into your presence. Thank you that this is something um, that you've granted to us, even though um, we don't deserve it. But you've made a way for us to pass through the veil and to come into your presence and so we could um, be near you. We ask that you would just um, bless each one of us. We ask that you would speak your words. We ask that you would help us to hear whatever it is you might have for us today. We pray that you would just lift up each one here, that each one, each one of our eyes would just be lifted up to see Christ Jesus high and exalted, to be drawn closer to you and your glory, to um, gain a passion for you and your kingdom. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for doing these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, I know you're probably expecting a Christmas message, and and um, we'll 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 do some more of those in the next couple of weeks. But there's something different that um, there was that was on my heart, and I'm really glad that Randy picked up on it. Probably other people picked up on it too. Um, but this, but that scripture that uh, that we that we read earlier. So anyway, so what are we here doing? We're here to call people out of darkness and into God's marvelous light, right? Um, this is a really great time of the year to be doing that. So I'm going to go ahead and read to you. Feel free to, if you have your Bible, go ahead and pull, pull it open. Um, I'm going to read you in Ezra for just a, a couple verses. And sorry, I didn't get it on the screen this time. My apologies. Um, but anyway, we'll work on that for next time. So Ezra. And so we're going to be talking about Zechariah a little bit. And um, anyway, so Ezra chapter 3, verse 2. So... <clears throat> The background here is that um, in Jerusalem, the temple had been destroyed, okay, and God's people had been displaced, and 70 years later, um, the prophet Daniel praised this prayer that was like the linchpin of God, God working um, in, the, in the world among his people. And so then uh, Cyrus, king of Persia, decreed that anybody who wants to can go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, and so and to, to, to go well. So that's, that's kind of where we're going to pick up here. Ezra chapter 3. Verse 2, Then Joshua, or Joshua the son of Josadak, and his brethren the priests, and Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and his brethren, arose and built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And, um, let's see. And so, so that's, so that's just, a, just, just, just a, little, a little taste about that here. Um... <laughs> And then, so they started building, right? They laid the foundation, they started building. And then it says in chapter 4, verse 1, 
Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of their father's houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. And we have sacrificed to him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us there. Who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of the heads of their father's houses of Israel said to them, You may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel, and Cyrus the king of Persia has commanded us. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purposes all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even up to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So we have Zerubbabel and we have Joshua, right? And they're kind of the leaders of, leaders of the gaggle. But they, you know how big the gaggle is? It doesn't really say it here. There's 42,000 people that came out of you know, Babylon to go and rebuild Jerusalem. 42,000 people all on the road together to do this, this thing, right? To, to rebuild the temple of God. That had to be really, and you know, it was just open to anybody. That had to have been a really exciting time, right? And so here they were going back to, to, to do the, the, the coolest thing that's been done in their whole generation, right? People have been waiting for this to happen for 70 years. And all of a sudden God says, okay, now you go make it happen. And so 42,000 people stream out. And they go with purpose and passion, and they had to have been pretty excited. You know, it, it even says that when they got there and laid the foundation of the temple, that they had a, a feast that lasted a week long. You think they were excited about this? They were excited about this. This is a, was a really cool thing. And, um, and so here they were in, in, this, in all this excitement, and this just really brought to mind that there's some things here that we can learn from this regarding the church plan, because you know what, we're here doing something really similar. People, people look at America and they say, where's God in all this? This is such a mess. Well, I'll tell you where God is in all this. He's right here doing things like this. People prayed just like Daniel prayed. Daniel's prayer was the linchpin to get things moving. That was like the straw that broke the camel's back to where God said, okay, now we can make it happen. He was waiting for that one prayer. People here have been praying. People other places have been praying. And so where's God in America? He's right here doing things like this. Here, yes. Other places too. So just like in Ezra's time, this is the most. This is one of the most spiritually significant. Believe it or not, this little church right here is one of the most spiritually significant things that's happened in Albany in a long time, right? Probably in all of our. I think there's a decent chance in our lifetimes this is the coolest thing that we'll get a chance to take part of, right? So I got to tell you, I am just so incredibly thankful. I know Randy is. I know Eddie is. We're just so thankful for everybody here. Um, because the Lord's put it on your heart to come and join and be a part of this. So we're just, we're just thankful. And so where's God working in America? He's working right here. He's working through you when you do gift wrapping. He's working through you when you set up the banners. He's working through you when you, when you assemble the drums and you put things away. That's, that's where God is in America. He's doing those things through you. So church plants come and go. So why why is this one different, right? A lot of church plants fail. Some of them keep, some of them succeed. Ninety percent of them fail, actually. About, um, I believe that that, that God's going to have this church plant succeed because our 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 goal here, our purpose, isn't to reach a few dozen people so we can sustain. That's not our goal. Our goal is to reach the city. There's a there's about a million people here, and such a small percentage of them know Jesus Christ. We're not trying to carve a little niche just so we could sustain. We're trying to like 
get God's kingdom overflowing, you know, everywhere. And so people, so, and, and, and so Jesus Christ is so much exalted here that people would, even if they're not even trying to go to church, they'd see things about Jesus everywhere. And he'd, he'd draw them to himself. So anyway, so Matthew 13, 31. Another parable Jesus put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So Rome wasn't built in a day. And neither was the temple of Jerusalem. And neither is this church. It's, it's taking some time, and that's okay. We're starting a work that's, that's, that's going to grow and it's going to impact all of Albany, you know, we can't expect that to just, you know, flash into existence. So, but anyway, back to our story. So, so there's some things in here that I think we can all learn. And, and so also part of this is what we can learn as a church plant, but also it's what, what we can learn as individuals because um, what we also want is, so I attended this one, this one conference where Nick Saban was talking. Um, it was a teleconference thing. Does anybody know who Nick Saban is? Does anybody know who Nick Saban is? He's, he's, he's like the most winningest football coach in college, something like that, for the Alabama uh, you know, Crimson Tide. Anyway, so Nick Saban is a Christian. This was a Christian, you know, thing. And um, so, so he spoke. And basically what he, was, what he was teaching is what he trains his guys is that I need you to be the best that you could possibly be at your position. Because if you're doing your absolute best and he's doing his absolute best and every, every single one of us is doing that, then we can really make some progress as a team. It's kind of like the backwards way of saying, you know, the, weak, the weakest link thing, right? So he's saying I want everybody to be just as strong I want you to be just as passionate, just as good at what you do, and that's what we want here too, for for everybody to be just as just as strong in the Lord, just as strong in the faith, to be powerhouses for God's kingdom, right? Okay, so um, let's see. So Rome was built in a day. Okay, so back to our story in Jerusalem. So not everybody was happy about this temple thing that was that was getting built, right? So they, so they started to build the temple. They, Forty-two thousand of them were thrilled, but you know what? Their neighbors not so thrilled. In fact, they started oppressing them and resisting them. And so and that's, and and so that's what happened in Jerusalem. Is that is that they would come over and try to and, and try to discourage them. And you know sometimes I get a little discouraged. So that's principle number one. Some people will discourage us. So I think I can discourage myself, to be honest with you, but. Um, anyway, so that's in, in Ezra 4 and 4, 5. Sometimes that gets me, where it says, the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah, right? They troubled them in building. And so that's, and so that's, here, in the phys- so that's here in the physical realm, the things we can see and perceive, right? There are people that just don't want us here. During gift wrapping, did anybody else see the, um, uh, like the moms that would be walking by with their kids and they'd be like, oh, quick kids, it's a church. Hide your eyes, hide your eyes. Did anybody else see that? Anybody catch that? Yeah, it was, it was like, well, some people just really don't want us here, right? They say, oh, we don't need another church. Why does all, there's plenty of churches around here, right? I did a study on that a while back. I think I counted 25 churches of, of all stripes within like a five-mile stretch or something like that. And so I did the calculation of how many people live there. There's about 600,000 people within a 15-mile commute, by the way, 15-minute commute from here. That's why, that's, that's why we love our location. But anyway, so I did, so I did a little calculation on... Um, those 25 or whatever churches for to be able to reach this amount of people each one of them would have to be reaching 6,000 people every single one of those 25 churches would have to reach 6,000 people now the truth is most of those churches are reaching less than 100 there's a couple that are reaching a couple hundred and uh, but anyway so 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 the point is you know the people that the people that's there's people that say things like that we don't need 
it's not true. Albany needs churches more than any anywhere else in all of America. And um, so anyway, so that's that's so those without God's harder vision, they're going to discourage us because they don't have God's harder vision, right? And so we're doing the hardest. So think, I just think about it like this: we're doing the hardest work, right? What the hardest work in all the kingdom is planting churches. We're doing the hardest work in the hardest area in America. It's going to take a little time, and we need to just not be discouraged, right? So that's where I was reading and I came across that Galatians one that Randy picked up on. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. All we got to do is keep it up. That's all we got to do. You see the word shall? In due season we shall reap. If we do not lose heart, because if we lose heart, we'll quit. So I wrote, I, I read this verse the other day, and it just spoke to my heart about that. So this, so this church, when it finally grows, we're going to be seeing God do huge things. We just need to not quit. We just need to keep going, right? So <clears throat> let's see. C.S. Lewis, the author of Chronicles of Narnia, said, "If Christianity is not true, then it's of no importance." But if it is true, it's of utmost importance, right? So we know Christianity is true. Jesus did come. He came in the flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died a death for you and for me. And so, and then he was raised again and went back into heaven. And so we could also have a place in heaven with him. So he'd bring us to himself. This isn't a social interest club, right? This is the kingdom of God. This is a real thing. Amen. We can't give up on this. Anyway, for ourselves or for the people that we're trying to reach, right? Okay. So we're doing a good work, right? The best work that could possibly be happening here in Albany or anywhere, and God's given us the privilege to do it, which is just really exciting to me. So, so we persist in doing good, and we're going to reap the harvest if we don't. So, so principle number one in the physical realm: some people are going to discourage us, right? And that's okay. We just need to see beyond that and keep doing the gift wrapping and everything else. So back to our story in, in Jerusalem: opposition rose from the neighboring people, right? And for years, their work was stopped. It just you know, completely stopped. People had no purpose or passion any, anywhere, and so why not? So we're going to look a little bit about that. They, they all got selfishly preoccupied with their own stuff, right? So God brought Zechariah to go ahead and revive the work, and he spoke some words to the, to the two key leaders, Jer, uh, Joshua and Zerubbabel. And so, that's, so we're going to look at Zechariah chapter 3. <coughs> we're going to spend the rest of our time there pretty much. This, now, this is to see what's going on behind the scenes. So we saw what was going on in front of the scenes, right? People were getting discouraged, and they were getting some attacks, right? But behind the scenes, uh, this is, these are the things that were going on. So um, principle number two, it goes like this. Um, remember, we serve the Lord. Principle number two, remember, we serve the Lord. So then he, it says in Zechariah 3, verse 1, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Right? So there's Joshua, and he's standing before the angel of the Lord. Wait, that's the angel of the Lord, right? Well, it is, but it's also, it's, a lot of times, this is called a theophany, when um, the Lord shows himself you know, in, in the, you know, the form of an angel in the Old Testament time. So this is Christ Jesus. How do we know? Because a couple verses later it says, and the Lord said. So this is the Lord, right? This is Jesus. And so Joshua the high priest was standing before the angel of the Lord, and we stand before the Lord um, because the Lord is the one we serve. He's our commander, right? We're not doing this thing for ourselves, right? This, this church is not a monument for me or Randy or Eddie or anybody, but it is to display the glory of God in Christ Jesus, the one we serve. 
Right? We're serving Jesus Christ, our Lord and Commander. Another frequent title is the Lord of Hosts. Do you know what that is? Hosts? That's an army. The Lord of the Armies, right? So one of my, when I was a kid, the thing that I loved to do the most was, was to uh, play war. Do y'all remember playing war? We would go outside and we would get our army helmets on and we'd go out with our toy guns and camos, you know, camouflage, and we would just spend hours out, outside, you know, laying in the wood pile, pretending like we were, you know, trying to, you know, wait for somebody or, you know, th- that kind of thing. We, we just love doing that. Um, but this, these, I mean, this kind of thing, this isn't playing war. It's, it, like, really is war. So we're standing before the Lord of the armies of heaven, and it's by his good pleasure that we're here today. It's by his good pleasure this work began, and by his good pleasure this work will succeed. So, as part of that, you are important. God wants to make you a mighty man and a mighty woman of God. Each one of us, right? To learn how to fight the right battles, to learn how to identify the enemy's tricks and to fight them effectively, right? So we can advance God's kingdom in our own lives, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Look, we don't have to be spiritual weaklings. We can become spiritually powerful, right? Spiritual weakness isn't God's will for our life. He wants us to overcome, right? That's the message to all seven churches in Revelation. Okay. So, so many of God's people don't either, they don't know uh, that there is a war going on, or they don't know where it's going on, or they don't know how to fight in it, or they don't have the right tools to fight in it, right? There's all sorts of these things that, that happen. So, um, in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 through 5, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against knowledge of God. The weapons of our warfare, they really work. They're like really effective. That the war we're supposed to be fighting, they actually work to do that. If we just fight the right battle, right? A lot of times we find ourselves fighting the wrong battle with the wrong weapons. We're just not going to make progress doing that. So to fight the right battle. So, okay. Because God doesn't want us to flounder in confusion, but to flourish in clarity, to know what the battle is, where it is, and how to be able to handle it, right? Okay. So And by his leading, he'll, he'll teach us to do that. So remember, number one, we serve the Lord. And then, then we continue reading. And, um, and Satan, um, yeah, then, Joshua, then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing in his right hand to oppose him, or to resist him, or to oppose him. So this is principle number three. Satan will defy us, right? He will oppose us. So the right hand is the place of the accuser, right, or the prosecutor. And so it's, so it's like this. The day we picked up the cross is the day Satan put a target on our back. We probably don't like it. If we could just, like, hide under the table, we might want to do that. But there's still going to be a target on your back, and you're still going to be in, in the enemy's crosshairs. Because Satan isn't, he's not like playing patty cake here. He really does hate you and me. And he's, in, and he's enjoyed authority over this city for decades, maybe centuries, I don't know. And he, you think he's going to give it up without a fight? He's not. He hates you. He hates me. He hates this church plant. And he's real. So the song, one of my favorite old, old hymns is, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And it says, his, talking about saying, His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. 
If it was left up to you and me to have to fight him on our own, we would be toast so fast. And he's been hindering God's people for thousands of years. He's got a lot of practice. He really knows how to do it. And he has engaged us in, in, in war. And he will continue to oppose us. So it's going to take spiritual effort to fight against that, right? He's not going to give up. Guess what? Satan doesn't have, he doesn't even have a white flag. doesn't even have one. <clears throat> so Jesus grew in wisdom and stature with God and man. So that's a biblical principle for each one of us to do also, to grow in wisdom and stature with God and man so we could stand on God's promises and fight like Jesus fought and overcome and win. So what are some of the, the tactics or strategies that the enemy uses? To distract us, get us on the wrong battlefield, right? To distract us or to attack us with temptation, that's an attack. Or another one is to lull us to sleep. Oh, that's not important. That kind of thing. So Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12, uh, that we do not, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. God's plan is for you to stand. Not to run, not to cower, not to hide, but to stand. To fight, yes, and stand. So if we find ourselves wrestling with people, wrong battle, wrong battle. Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. But they're not fighting because my kingdom is not from here. Wrong battle. We need to get on the right battlefield, right? Can't make progress in God's kingdom unless you're doing God's business, right? Unless we're about the Lord's business. And so that's the tactic Satan uses, is to distract us into the wrong battlefield. But we need to be about our Father's business. That's, that's one. The next one is to um, attack us with temptation. So distract us or attack us, right? <clears throat> so if we're, if we're walking in God's light and walking in his ways, then Satan can't touch us at all unless the Lord gives him permission. That's what happened with Job, and that's what happened with Peter. With, to, Jesus said to Peter, um, Satan has asked for you. He has to ask, because Peter belonged to the Lord. So Satan can't just trample that boundary. He has to ask. And sometimes the Lord will let that boundary down and, 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 let, and, and, and let us go through some trials and difficulties, only so we could go back and strengthen our brethren after that. That's what happened with Peter and with Job. But if we depart from God's path, then we've disabled ourselves. It's like draining the all the gas out of your own gas tank, right? We've got to stay on the Lord's path. So how does this work? It, this this you know uh, this temptation to attack us with temptation. It's to deceive and to disobey and to defile and to disable. And so that's so that's the progress here that happened with Joshua. We'll see that. So, so a couple years yeah a couple years ago I was you know we, we Christmas time the kids got toys and there was and there was a toy that we had to go ahead and you know put the batteries in but I couldn't seem to like pry the battery compartment open. I couldn't seem to do the and so so I thought, okay, how am I gonna do this? And so I got a tool to do it. Now did I get a big crowbar? No, I got just a little tool, just a little screwdriver, and that was enough to just wedge in there, pop the thing open, right? So how do you think Satan messes with you? You think he uses a big crowbar? All he's looking for is a little entrance. All he needs is just a little screwdriver. Just a little tool, a little something that you let into your life 
that's not supposed to be there, and he can pop it open and start messing with you. So Satan would pry you apart from God's, God's, the life of God with his bare hands if he could. But he can't. Even with all his power, he can't because God is so much more powerful. <laughs> but he tempts us with a little tool. Just do these little wrong things. And that's all it takes to deceive us. We get deceived by it. And then we go for it. And then we disobey. And then we're defiled. And then we're disabled from doing God's work. And that's Joshua here. How do I know? Because of the garments he was wearing. So it, so it says, um, let's see. And the Lord said to Satan, oh, it's actually in verse 3. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. So there he is clothed with the filthy. If he, so if you see me and I've got dirt and you know filth all over me, then you could guess pretty well that, I'm, that I would spend some time in dirt and filth, right? So it's the same thing with Joshua. So Joshua um, let his guard down. When the work stopped, he let his guard down. And it's so easy when, when we don't you know, seek to progress our Christian walk that we just kind of you know, fall and start doing, doing some of those things. But God has a plan for you and me to overcome. Joshua was in the right place, using the right position, in the right place at the right time, doing most of the right things, but things just weren't working for him because... There were some little things that he led into his life. So if there's little things in your life that aren't supposed to be there, God wants you to get rid of them. Because that's the only way you're going to overcome. And we need you to overcome for this church to be as strong as it can be, for our team to be as strong as we can be. So let's attack you with temptation. The next one, lull, lull you to spiritual sleep. <clears throat> it's easy to just get lackadaisical, non-driven, you know, just gliding through life. You know, whatever happens, it's okay, you know. And so the New Testament gives us the exhortation, shake yourself, you know, awake you sleeper and rise from the dead and Christ will give you light. It takes shaking ourselves, awaking ourselves. If we just sit and wait for God to do it, he told us to do it. Okay, <clears throat> so that's principle number three, Satan will defy us. Principle number four, the Lord will defend us and make us fit. So, verse 2, And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Notice Joshua didn't rebuke Satan. The Lord did it for him. Because the Lord will stand up for you. And he has, God has no problem standing his own against Satan. And each one of us were plucked out of so this is about Joshua, yes, but you know what? Each one of us had our own fire that we were plucked out of, right? God, this is, this is symbolic. Joshua is symbolic of each person who's in the kingdom of God. So whatever the mess is that you came out of, God came and he rescued you and he plucked you out of that mess. And so he could take and put you on solid ground and so you could do good, so you could follow his ways, so you could know Jesus and have a place in heaven. Each one of us that knows him were plucked from the fire, The Lord saw you and wanted to save you, so he took you out of that fiery future. And you know what? There's people around here also that the Lord's looking at that he wants to do that with also. And so the stronger we can become here, the more we'll be effective to go in and help the Lord to reach those people also. So in ourselves, we're unfit for service, but the Lord makes us fit. And so it says in, in verse 3, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, 
and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put clothes on the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. And so, and so um, Joshua was God's person who just got himself into, into some yuckiness. And so in John 13, Peter said, um, Lord, wash all of me. And Jesus said, someone who's clean doesn't need to wash all, but just your feet. The Lord's Prayer says, forgive us as we forgive our debtors. The Lord knows we're going to mess up unknowingly. And so he gives us the space to come back to him. Without that, then there'd be only a one-time repentance, and then that's it. You'd be banished from the presence of the Lord the first time you did something wrong. But God gives the ability, the grace, the mercy for you to come back, no matter how bad you've been. Turn to Christ Jesus and come back to him. And you'll be like Joshua. He'll take away your filthy garments. He'll give you a clean set of clothes. So how do you do this? You forsake all that junk and you run to him. Cast it off completely. If we, and, and, we're, and then he makes us fit. We're not fit of ourselves. Nobody can be. It's impossible. But he makes us fit. God specializes in taking people that have messed up and fixing them. You know, people specialize in doing that with furniture. Well, God does that with lives. And it doesn't matter at what point in the life somebody comes to him. It's just the only, the most important thing is that the person comes to him, right? Okay. Because Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was enough. It's sufficient to cleanse us from sin. Not just some sin, but to cleanse us. So run to Jesus, forsake all the, all that other junk. So principle number four, the Lord will defend us and will make us fit. Principle, and the next principle, I guess, is number five. Our honor comes from the Lord. And so it says in verse five there, so they set a fair mitre on his head. Well, that's the turban thing, right? That, the one that the high priest would wear with a gold plate in front of it that says, holiness to the Lord. Have you ever worked at jobs where you didn't feel like you were honored for serving there? Like you were just kind of like there and you got kicked around or, you know, you just weren't appreciated? Well, our Father in Heaven is pleased to honor anybody who serves Jesus. Jesus said, if any person comes to me, him my Father will honor. That's in John 12, 26. What's important is not what people say, but what God says, right? So you could either be a friend of the world or a friend of the Lord, right? There'll be a time when we realize we can't do both. And so that's where we need to hold on to the Lord, right? And so in Galatians 6, 9, that verse again, let us not grow weary in well-doing for in due season. So I was at the personal level. At the, at, the, at the church level, let's not grow weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we do not faint. Because our honor comes from the Lord. The Lord will make things happen. And so there's, and so there's an exhortation with this also in verse 6. And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways... And if you will keep my command, then you shall also judge my house and likewise have charge of my courts. I will give you places to walk among these who stand here 
It's, it's the if-then principle. <clears throat> that God does expect us to follow his ways. And if we do, then he'll protect us, provide for us, and make us powerful in his kingdom. So, um, yeah, so, so, so there was a story. So I've been involved in you know, several, several churches. And so there was once a while back when there was, this, there was this thing that I thought, you know, I think I'd like to, it was like God said, hey, you know, wouldn't you like to do this one thing in the church? And I was like, ah, eh, no, nah, not really. And then maybe a week went by or so, and then, I'll, and then I came to myself a little bit, and I was like, you know, actually, that would be pretty cool. And so then I started praying that God would open that door, and he, wouldn't, and he didn't open the door. And then he brought this little thing, this little screwdriver kind of thing to my mind, and I was like, oh, that's probably what's slowing me down, isn't it? And so I, I got rid of that little screwdriver thing, and you know what? It wasn't like a month later, and I was in, I was in the new position. God will honor that. God will honor whatever it is that you do to follow his ways. And so if you walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you'll judge my house and keep my courts. Like he's going he's, he's gonna to make you to do some really cool things. And then verse 8 is, is a really neat one here, here too. Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sign. For the servant, or, or, or uh, yeah, for behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. So each one of us here are part of this wondrous sign that God's doing something. Because who's the branch? The branch is Jesus. And so it says, because you're the sign, the people who are there with you, Joshua, are the sign that the branch is coming, that the Messiah is coming. And you all here, we all here, are the sign that God really is working in this area. And that Jesus is going to come in power and glory to win people to himself here. We're not, we're not here for no reason. We're here as a sign. And Satan's pretty torqued off about that. But me and Randy and Eddie, we are so thankful for each one of you. Amen. For every single one person here. Every single person here. And God is going to, all, all we need to do is walk in his ways. And he will uphold us. He will strengthen us. He will make us spiritual powerhouses. And the stronger each one of us are, the stronger this church is going to be. There's going to be a couple adjustments that we need to make. God will, God will speak those to us, right? And, but then the joy that comes afterward is going to be so worth it. And we're going to see God do some really powerful things here, I really believe. And so, if anybody doesn't know Jesus, then he's the one that you really need to get to know. Whatever sorrow that you may have, Whatever sadness, whatever problems, you take those and you and you put those at his feet. It's like a, it's kind of like a bank account. You put those in in, in the, the account, and then when you re, when you when you take money out, it's joy that you get. Put in your sorrow, and you get joy out. That's the way God does it. He takes our brokenness and he gives us beauty. He takes our problems and he gives us um, kindness and love. So we're just going to go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We give you thanks. We give you praise. We give you all the glory for letting us be each one uh, part of this work that you're doing. Father, we just pray that you would go before us. We pray that you would uphold us. We pray that you would make each one of us as strong as we possibly could be for your kingdom, for your glory, for our good. 
because you are able to make all things work to good, to the good, for those who love you and were called according to your purpose. So thank you that you promised to do that. If anybody here doesn't know you, then just help them to run to you. Help them to, to, to bring whatever junk it is that they might have and to leave it at your feet. And so that you could give them great joy and rejoicing. We pray for um, each one here that you would just bless each one of our families. We ask that you would speak words of life and hope and joy to us through this Christmas season, through our devotion, you know, daily devotional Bible readings. Um, keep us safe today and this week and watch over us. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we do it? Bless our Andy.